It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. The only thing necessary for evil to prevail is that good men and women do nothing. I am simply a mouthpiece for good men and women around the world who want to make a difference. Engagement and the involvement of ordinary people is what is going to change our criminal justice system. Many have tried and failed, but the only difference between them and me is I'm bringing an army with me. This is Truth and Justice. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode. I'm your host, Bob Ruff. And I'm your co-host, Mike Bussing. Today's Friday follow-up is going to be a little bit shorter than normal. And the reason for that is because this week, I covered a breakdown of the stab wounds and gave my own preliminary profile of the murder of Kiao Go. We have had a ton of response to this episode, but in just two days on Sunday... Expert FBI profiler Jim Clemente is coming on the show to give his expert opinion on the profile. So since I've already recorded Jim's interview at this point, I don't want to spoil what he's going to get into on Sunday. So the response to a lot of your questions is going to be, you'll get the answer to this on Sunday. But we do have some social media and voicemails to get through, so we're going to get started right after we do just a little bit of housekeeping. All right, we have three items we want to discuss for housekeeping this week. First of all, we're getting a lot of questions from people asking what they can do to help support our movement. And of course, as I always say, the number one thing you can do is stay engaged in the show, reach out, spread the word, and help us out with whatever your expertise happens to be. And a big way that you can help out to spread the word that only takes a minute and doesn't cost you any money is to go onto iTunes and leave a five-star review for us. When you do that, it makes us more visible to other people that might be interested in the cases that we're covering. So if you have a few minutes, please go onto iTunes and leave a quick review. It actually helps out more than you think. Secondly, of course, is our Patreon page. So for those of you who don't know what Patreon is, it's a place where you can go and pledge a monthly donation to help with the expenses of the show. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $1 a month. And the website to do that is Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash truth and justice. That's Patreon.com slash truth and justice. And like I said, you can pledge as little as $1 a month. But the beauty of having so many people involved in this movement is if a whole lot of people pledge $1 a month, it'll help to cover our travel expenses, our bandwidth expenses, legal fees, and expert testing. So one more time, the place you can go to pledge a monthly donation to help with the show as little as a dollar a month is patreon.com slash truthandjustice. 
or you can link there from our website, truthandjusticepod.com. You can get to our merch site by going to our website, truthandjusticepod.com, and clicking the Shop tab, or you can go directly to truthandjusticeapparel.com. We have t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, and now coffee mugs. So check out our shop and order yourself some Truth and Justice merchandise, or you can pledge a monthly donation on Patreon, and all of you please go to iTunes and leave us a review. And that, Mike, is it for housekeeping, so you're on. Okay, Bob, so we got a lot of social media questions this week covering things from the knife wounds on Keo's body to how many people attacked Keo to speculation about some of the other characters and potential suspects in the case. There's a lot here, so let's jump right in. First, here's an email from longtime listener John Hayes. John says, it's a bit confusing. If the medical examiner at trial admits some of the cuts show a double-edged blade, how can she say that it's possible for one single-edged knife to have been able to cause all the cuts? If one knife did. Well, like I mentioned in episode 304, Sheila Spotswood was very careful not to overstate her opinions. So she never said at trial that some of the cuts did come from a double-edged blade. What she said was that some of the injuries could have come from a double-edged blade. So she really actually doesn't say anything definitively at trial. Her entire point was, if it had to be one knife, it had to be a small three-quarter inch wide by about four and a half inch long knife to cause all of those wounds, if it had to be one knife. But she also says that some of these wounds indicate that they could have come from a double-edged knife. And then, of course, we have all of those wounds that are much wider than three-quarters of an inch that most likely, I think, indicates that it was a second knife. But she indicated that a three-quarter inch knife could possibly have made those wounds as well. All right, thanks for clearing that up. Next, we've got a Facebook post from Rob Callahan. He posts, Does anyone find the fact that you have this little Asian woman going on a mile or two walk with a kitchen butcher knife for protection a little odd or strange? Don't you think that would be just a little out of the realm of reality? You know, several people ask that exact question. Why would she carry such a big knife? Why wouldn't she carry something that's smaller and more efficient and easier to carry? But the thing is, I don't think that Kiao ever intended to actually use the knife. I feel like she grabbed the big knife for intimidation. And since she's probably never done anything like that in the past, she probably is drawing from her own experiences. For example, Mike, have you ever watched a horror movie? Yeah. Okay, so in every horror movie, when the bad guy or the monster or whatever it is come and the damsel in distress, what does she always do? She runs into the kitchen and she grabs what? A butcher knife. Right, the biggest butcher knife you can find. And she holds it up and doesn't actually do anything with it, but she always gets that great big butcher knife. Right, so you're saying she's getting inspiration from horror movies? Well, I'm not saying that that's what happened, but that's the experience. Like for me, when I'm thinking about, you know, a woman trying to protect herself with a knife, really almost every movie I've ever watched, they always go for the great big butcher knife. So I would think that that cinematic thing has to come from reality somewhere. But I don't think that she was really thinking this through, like what's the best knife to stab somebody with? I think she was afraid. She thought someone was stalking her. And so she grabbed what she thought might ward off someone from bothering her. Sure. I think that if she actually thought that she was actually going to be attacked, she wouldn't have gone on the walk in the first place. I think she was concerned, and she took the knife just to ward off anybody that might bother her, but I don't think she had any idea that she was going to be attacked and murdered that day. Mm -hmm. Right, kind of like a bigger is better type of concept where it's like she doesn't really want to use the knife, but if a bad guy is walking up to her, she can pull up this big intimidating knife and scare him away. Right, I think that's exactly what happened. All right, moving on from that, also on Facebook, listener Andy Struhl posts, in Christine's testimony, page 67, it says three knives were introduced into evidence of the court case. 
One was found in Christine's apartment, one Kiao's, and the other was revealed in 304 to belong to Kenneth Williams. So I'm confused why Kenneth's knife is in evidence in the court case. Presumably no DNA was found to connect to the crime, and it doesn't have any connection to Jesse Eldridge. It doesn't seem to have any purpose in court. The purpose in court was for the prosecution to head off any defense that Jesse's attorneys might have. So Kenneth Ray Williams was, when Royster ended the investigation, the prime suspect in this murder. And a few episodes from now, we're going to go through all of Detective Watts' investigation, and what we find is that Watts was on Kenneth Ray Williams like white on rice. I really think that Troy and Carol Eldridge derailed Watts from continuing to pursue Kenneth Ray Williams. But since all that information was in his notes, the prosecutor could safely assume that the defense was going to raise Kenneth Ray Williams as a potential alternate suspect. So basically, the reason the knife was brought in was to rule Kenneth Ray Williams out. And once we get into the trial, you'll see that the whole trial is just milquetoast. Nothing was actually said at trial other than Troy's statement. That's the veracity of the entirety of the state's case. But what happened was Watts was investigating Kenneth Ray Williams. He found out that shortly after the murder, Williams had committed an aggravated assault using a knife. So at the time he's still investigating Williams, he goes down to Dallas PD and finds that the knife used in that offense is still in evidence. So he gathered the knife and sent it out for testing, and of course the testing came back. There was nothing on it. There was no blood or anything on it or DNA that could be tied back to Kiao's murder. Of course, again, this is in 1994 DNA standards, but nothing tied the knife to the murder. So the reason it was introduced at trial was the prosecutor put it up and said, where did this knife come from? This was Kenneth Ray Williams' knife, and did you test it for DNA? Yes, I did, and was it connected to this crime? No, it wasn't. So they were just headed off Jesse's attorneys at the pass with the knife. Okay, and then in an email from listener Gemma Ridgway, she was wondering about the aggravated assault committed by Kenneth Ray Williams. Do you have any more information on that? At this point, I do not. I'm still waiting on some open records requests to get all of the details about that. All I know is that it was an aggravated assault and he used a knife. I don't even know if he stabbed anybody or if he was just using the knife to you know, threaten someone. Okay, and while we're on the topic of Kenneth Ray Williams, another listener, Nicole Tim, posts on Facebook, do we know what kind of car Kenneth Ray Williams drove? Since Kiel mentioned the white caddy to her husband, and Kenneth's knife from an aggravated assault matches the stab wounds on her, I was just curious if he has a white car or not. Again, from the documents that we have access to right now, I do not have the answer to that question. But rest assured, we are launching a full-out investigation into Kenneth Ray Williams where we will be able to answer all these questions very soon. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, we've got another email here from listener Natasha. Natasha writes, question, was there any blood or DNA, etc., found on the knife in Kiao's hand? 
which have inflicted any wounds on her attackers, and therefore could they have had any injuries. So there was in fact some blood found on the knife. But all we have as far as forensic testing is a note that says there were insufficient quantities to get a good DNA profile off of the knife. But again, remember, this is 1991 when this is happening. DNA was just starting to really be a thing. And at the time, they needed quite a bit of material to get a good DNA profile. Whereas today, they literally need only one single skin cell to get a DNA profile. So back in 91, yes, there was blood on the knife, but no, they weren't able to get any DNA off of it. My personal opinion, I don't see how this attack could have taken place with Kiao having the knife in her hand the entire time and even having a cut on the hand she was holding the knife in and not at least gotten a piece of her attacker. So I suspect that that knife probably still is in evidence and we will be testing it for DNA and I'm guessing we're going to find someone's DNA on there other than Kiao Goves. Okay, going back to an email, this one comes from Jake in Australia. He writes, I may have missed something, but regarding multiple attackers, is it possible that it was one right-handed attacker with two knives, one in each hand? This could explain why the left-handed wounds are all shallow and hesitant, because they are using their offhand. Well, I certainly can't say that that's impossible, but I think it's extremely unlikely. When I read that email, I was kind of messing around looking to see what that would look like, and it would just kind of look silly. But besides it looking silly... More importantly, I don't think that accurately depicts our crime scene. Remember, it's a very dynamic crime scene. You have Kiel likely trying to run away, fighting, kicking, screaming, probably rolling around on the ground. So if you have a knife in each hand, you have no way to control Kiel. And remember, she also has a knife in her hand. So I think that it's much more likely that the attacker or attackers only had a knife in one hand and they were using the other hand to try to control her. Okay, and then going to the dynamics of the murder itself... On Facebook, Samantha Smith posts, Could it be possible that the wounds on Kiel's thigh and buttock were a result of her murderer being closer to the ground, pretending to tie a shoe perhaps, and then stabbing her as she passed in an attempt to incapacitate or slow her down? Thanks and keep up the great work. No. Not at all, huh? <laughs> no. All right, moving forward. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I mean, The answer to the question is, in fact, no, and I don't mean to be a smartass. I just think that is completely unlikely, and Sam, you're not the only one to suggest that, so I'm not picking on you. But if that was the case, if this was a premeditated attack and the plan was I'll act like I'm tying my shoe and when she walks by, I'll stab her, I don't think that first stab would land in the butt or the leg. So put yourself in the mind of this criminal, the person that's like setting a trap and laying in wait. Their plan is not to slightly injure Kiao and have her run away in broad daylight in the middle of a wide open space to later land your fatal blows. The plan would be to get up and immediately plunge the knife right into her chest or her back or somewhere fatal. So I think that most likely those two stab wounds happened in the midst of a very dynamic and pretty epic struggle when Kia was trying to fight for her life. Anna Benner tweets, hashtag red flag, Troy stating Jesse was wearing his t-shirt when he killed Kiao. It's kind of weird, right? Bob, regarding this, did you have any thoughts on why Troy would claim Jesse was wearing his shirt when he says he committed the murder? I think that Troy is just absolutely 100% full of crap. And with his ever-changing story and his multiple contacts with Detective Watts, I think that his story was getting massaged, both by him and likely with a little help from Watts, to add details that could add some weight to his testimony. So remember in his very first affidavit, Troy says that Jesse left for a walk and he came back with the bloody shirt. And he thought that would be enough, but it wasn't. But so he's already on the record now saying the reason he knows that he committed the murder is because he's wearing a bloody shirt. 
Now, why that had to be his shirt, I don't know, other than the fact that he could say that he recognized it. I don't know. But then later, when he adds to his story, and now he says that he was with Jesse when he grabbed Kiao, he was still kind of locked into the fact that he saw him in the bloody shirt when he came back. So I think the reason that we have a bloody shirt at all was because originally Troy's story had to have some kind of evidence that Jesse actually committed the murder, hence the bloody shirt. And then as his story evolved, he still had to have the bloody shirt in the story, but he added the context of seeing him do it. I know that the the meat of your question is, why did it have to be Troy's shirt? And I guess the best answer that I have for that is, Troy said that it was his shirt and he knew the blood was fresh because he had washed it the day before. So I think that it had to be his shirt so that he could confirm that it was fresh blood, likely Kiao's blood. Because if it was Jesse's shirt, that could have been an old stain on it. But since it was his, he can now say that he knows that stain wasn't on the shirt the day before. All right, Bob, there was quite a bit of buzz surrounding your stab wound experiment with the raw ribs and chicken. And if memory serves, no matter how hard you tried, with a standard steak knife, you weren't able to get any cuts with widths wider than three quarters of an inch, indicating that there was likely more than one different knife used in the murder, since the stab wounds found on Kiao's body range from half an inch wide to one and three sixteenth inch wide. Digging into that, Karina Gomez tweets, what if you stabbed and then sliced down? Would a smaller knife be able to create larger wounds that way? Well, yeah, certainly if you make a slicing motion and very deliberately on the way out on the sharp edge of the blade, you can widen that wound. That's definitely true. And that's why my point in doing the experiment was I thought that if I just sliced in at an angle and then pulled back, pulling towards the sharp edge as I pulled the knife out, that it would make that wider gash. I was actually shocked when I was doing the experiment when I found out that it actually wasn't three quarters of an inch. We were able to get slices that were around an inch but nothing bigger than an inch. What I learned from the experiment and my assessment was that you could make that wound on the skin wider, but that you had to almost intentionally and slowly slice the knife back out in order to widen that wound track. Now keep in mind too, Kiao is probably rolling around on the ground for some of these, so it may create some of those wider cuts, but it also depends on how sharp the knife was. A very, very sharp knife is more likely to do that than a duller knife. But I still maintain, and this is just my non-expert opinion, that there had to have been two knives. Because the majority of the wounds, it's not like this was a freak occurrence where one or two of these injuries were wider. The majority of the stab wounds were around an inch and a quarter wide. So that would mean the majority of the time when the knife was stabbed in, it came out and left a much wider gash than the width of the actual knife. Then also keep in mind the stab wound to the center of Kiao's chest that went straight down into her sternum. That wound went straight down, no up-down deviation, no left-right deviation, and only went in one inch, and the cut on the skin was still over an inch wide. That, to me, indicates that was a big, wide knife. But again, we have to say that it is possible that the knife might have, say, stuck into the sternum, and they had to wiggle the knife to get it out. We just don't know. Also, when discussing the stab wounds, Iva T. tweets, Did the Emmy explain how a single-bladed knife could have caused a double-sharp injury to her liver? Makes no sense. Thanks. She did not explain that. However, I do have an explanation for it. Now, I do think that it's likely, or at least possible, that it was made with a double-edged knife. However, closer examination of that wound shows that it wasn't just a simple stab to the liver that caused the double-edged wound. It looks more like a slice to the liver. I don't have it right in front of me, but I believe the cut on the liver was like a half inch deep and an inch and three-eighths wide. So since it only went in a half of an inch, 
and it's over an inch and a quarter wide, the blade could have sliced across the liver, which would make a sharp edge on both ends of that cut. So that one could go either way. All right, also regarding the height of Kia's attacker or attackers, listener Amber tweets, Jesse, being 6'2", would have towered over Kiao at 5 feet tall. Seems like the stabs came from a shorter person. Can you elaborate on this, Bob? Yeah, I don't think the stab wounds give us any indication of the height of the killer. And the reason for that, again, is remember we're looking at a dynamic crime scene. At some point, Kiao had to have gone to the ground, which means these stab wounds could have come from any angle. She could have been rolling around. The killer could have been on top of her, next to her. When we look at the diagram, we're looking at a person that's standing straight up. But I'm guessing that very few, if any, of these cuts happened while Kiao was standing. She could have been tackled to the ground, and all of the stabs came after she was on the ground. So if she was standing upright, we start to get an indication of how tall the killer was. But we just don't know if she was, and we know at some point she was on the ground. Now, if you compare this to our Season 2 case with Edward Aids and Elnora Griffin, in her case, we do know that when her throat was slashed, she was standing upright, and that's because of the blood patterns. You could see where the blood ran straight down her back and her shoulder, and then after she fell to the ground, the direction of the blood flow changed 90 degrees to continue to go down towards the ground. It almost made an L shape. So in that case, we were able to determine definitively that Elnora Griffin was upright when her throat was slashed. But with Kiao's wounds being all stab wounds and having clothes on them and the EMTs taking her right away, trying to treat her, so we have no photographs of how she was positioned and how the blood was flowing on the ground, we really have no idea what position she was in. Okay, and then I have one last piece of information here before we move on. It's pertaining to something we talked about last week, which was the keys. On Twitter, Phil IP tweets, Did Mrs. Gove carry a bag or have pockets? Is it possible she put the keys in the mailbox herself, save carrying them? Well, again, the keys continue to be a hotly debated item. Yes, she did have pockets in her pants, but I don't know if that's any indication to us whether or not she put the keys in the mailbox herself. There's a lot of people that have differing opinions on this, and that's okay. But my personal opinion is there's no way that Key Out put those keys in her box. And that's for several reasons. One, we know that she always wrapped them in a white handkerchief to carry them on her walks. And she had that white handkerchief on her person when she was killed. We also have Kenneth Gove's testimony that the mail was checked in that box every day for what actually turns out by the police reports to be 11 days. And the keys, he says, he sure were not in the box during that entire time. Now, it's possible he could have missed them. But all we have to go off of is what he said. And he didn't give any indication that he might have missed them in there. And furthermore, on my last trip to Texas, I actually walked up to Kiao's house, spoke with the owner, and looked into the mailbox. And after doing that, I am now 100% convinced those keys were not in there. I'm about six foot one. Kirby's a taller guy. I think he's actually taller than me. I do not know how tall Kenneth was. But when I opened that mailbox, I was literally, because of the position where it was on the wall, looking directly down into it. The height of the box was below my nipple line and above my navel. And it's right next to the door. So when you open it, it's not like you're just reaching blindly into the box. When you open it, you're staring right down into it. Even someone as short as five foot tall could see mostly into it. But anyone over, say, five foot five would have a clear view of the bottom of the box anytime they got the mail. So that's a long answer to a short question. But I guess the way I would summarize it is, of course, we can't know for sure if Kiao did or did not leave the keys in the mailbox. But my personal opinion, based on the completeness of all the evidence, is I think the most likely scenario is that she did not put those keys in her box, and they did mysteriously appear over a week later. 
All right, that's it for this week's social media. Thank you, everybody, for your thoughts and theories. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsor, and then we'll get right into our voicemails. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Okay, Bob. Well, we didn't have any calls that we want to cover in the call segment today, but we have a couple of voicemails we want to go over. So here's our first voicemail from Sandy. Hey, guys. It's Sandy in South Carolina. Thought I'd leave you a quick voicemail. Um, the butcher knife, uh, I'm sure it's burning everybody's mind. Is it still in um, evidence? Was it ever tested for DNA if she maybe got a stab on some of the perpetrators? Um, if it is, was it tested? Can it still be tested? And then two, do you think with it not being quite daylight, maybe still kind of dark, sun rising, do you think they were trying to um, rape her? with some of the stab wounds on her buttocks and um, she was fighting and then they got scared. Were there any signs of of rape trying to happen with her clothes or anything like that? Anyway, hope you guys are having a great day. Thanks for all you do. Bye. Okay, thanks for that, Sandy. Uh, we already covered the DNA testing of the knife in the first segment, but regarding whether or not the knife is still in evidence, I don't know this for certain, but I'm going to assume that it is. And the reason for that is because the knife was actually admitted into evidence at trial. So typically when we have evidence that disappears or we don't have any more to test is because it was sitting in an evidence locker somewhere and might've got thrown out during a spring cleaning or something, or after a certain period of time, they get rid of some of the evidence at the police department. But once something is admitted into evidence at trial, it should be kept then probably in the clerk's office and will be maintained with all of the other trial materials. So my guess is, and my hope is, that that knife is indeed still in evidence. Regarding the rape, I do think it's very possible that the motive for this attack was rape, but I don't think it's because of the stab wound to the buttocks and the leg. I think that those wounds were just simply a result of a struggle and an awkward stabbing position. The reason that I think rape is a possible motive is because Kiao thought she was being stalked. She mentioned to Kenneth that someone in a white Cadillac was following her around, there's another report that she said something about a white van following her, and the fact that she was carrying the knife around with her, which supposedly was out of character, tells us that she felt threatened. So I believe that someone was indeed following her and or stalking her, and then on this particular day, they decided to go ahead and attack. Well, so if someone's stalking her and planning to attack her, what would be their motive? The Goes were not extremely wealthy people. Kiao never carried or wore anything on her of any value. She wasn't even wearing her necklace that day. So I just have my doubts that the motive was robbery. And I definitely don't think the motive was murder. So the only thing that's left to me is that whoever was following her and or stalking her had built up an attraction to Kiao and had intended to abduct and rape her. So I do believe that rape is a possible motive, but I didn't come to that conclusion because of the stab wounds. Thanks for the voicemail, Sandy. And regarding the rest of the calls and voicemails, everything else that came in was either covered in segment one or is going to be covered on Sunday. So I think that this is a good time to just end the listener participation segment at this point. 
I want to thank all of you for taking the time to call in, email, tweet us, send us Facebook messages. And a lot of the questions that a lot of you had that weren't answered on today's show will be answered on Sunday by Jim Clemente. Now, regarding Sunday's episode, it is a long one. The interview with Jim Clemente is nearly two hours long. I actually considered breaking it up into two separate episodes, but the information that he's giving is just so intriguing and it all flows together. I didn't want to make you guys wait another week for the second half of his analysis. So in two days, this Sunday, you can look forward to a long two-hour interview with retired FBI profiler Jim Clemente. And the only spoiler that I can give you for Sunday's episode is Jim blows this case out of the water. Truth and Justice is a production of New Beginning Incorporated. Our executive producer is Mike Bussing. All music for the show was created by PutThemInASong.com. I want to thank Amanda Meyer for creating the logo for the Friday follow-ups. And thank you to our transcription team, Desiree Dunn, Sarah Hoyt, and Sarah Mueller. Also, a special thank you to Chris Brinkley of SylviaConsultants.com for creating and maintaining our new website. And thank you to all of you for all of your support and all of the ways that you give it. Keep sending in your thoughts, theories, and ideas to theories at truthandjusticepod.com. Send us new cases to consider at cases at truthandjusticepod.com. Like the Facebook page or follow us on Twitter at truthjusticepod. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. a bit of social media and voicemails to get through but we do have a but we do have quite a bit of social media but we do have some voice <laughs> mikey mikey not amused no, i'm in the zone dude <laughs> and lastly people have been begging me for a couple of huh and lastly peach this isn't a little dainty coffee cup it's a big coffee cup like huh it. scratch that whole bullshit i'm so fucking 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 <laughs> Fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> My brain's not working. <laughs> I was just like so looking forward to your description of the coffee mug. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Fucking tired. <sighs> okay, scratch that. <laughs> scratch the description of the coffee mug. Said it's not just a dainty coffee. <laughs> Shut mug. your dirty mouth. <laughs> you can get to our website. Fuck you, Mike. <laughs> You're just having a bad time here. All right. All right. Whoa! <laughs> First fucking word out of my mouth. All right, Bob. So we got a bunch of social media questions this week covering... Fring- covering...
Okay, Bob, so we got a lot of social media questions this week. Who's the funny guy now? Damn it. If the medical examiner at trial admits some of the cuts shown... And then, of course, it... And then, of course... Okay, and then... <clears throat> okay, and then in an... E- okay, and then in an email from another... Okay, and then in an... There it is again. Then, 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 then. <laughs> okay, and... Okay, and... Okay, and then in an email from listener Jenna Ridgway. Even when you say it right, it sounds like nah, 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 nah. It's so hard to do that. <laughs> okay, and then in it <laughs> It sucks. Okay, and then in an email from Je- email from listener Jenna no. I'm gonna do it. No, you it. can't edit that together. I was just curious if he was a I was just curious if it I was just curious if he has a white car or not. All right, and then moving into breaking down the actual crime scene. No, we're not breaking down the actual crime scene. We're talking about... Back to Twitter. Anna... (laughs) I'm keeping it. Anna Benner tweets, hashtag red flag. Troy stealing Jesse was a... Need to learn how to read. Hashtag red flag. Troy stating Jesse was wearing his t-shirt when he killed Kiao. Okay, and then along those... What the hell? All right, also regarding the... (laughs) All right, also regarding the height of Kia's attackers or attacker. All right, also regarding the height of Kia's attacker or attackers. Listener Amber tweets. All right, that's it for this week's. So- All right. All right, that's it for this week's social media. Thank you, everybody, for your thoughts and theories. Well, joke's on you. You're the ones who got to edit that shit. I know. <laughs>